Welcome to GalaxyCon Talks Comics with your hosts, Mike Broder and Patty Hawkins. Join us each week as we talk to some of the biggest names in the comic book industry, both past and present. Make sure to follow us online at GalaxyConTalksComics.com. Hi, welcome to GalaxyCon Live. I am Mike Broder, and with me is my co-host, Patty Hawkins. Good evening, Patty. Good evening, Mike. How are you doing tonight? Doing great. We have an incredible guest tonight. He is... Do you even need any introduction to our audience? Uh, I, I, will, I will say this much. Uh, I'm so excited for our next guest because truly he, he's, he's somebody who I, I felt like I really witnessed uh, an incredible arc of the development of his style. Going back from when, before I even knew who comic artists were, and we'll talk about that as being his career, to uh, his place now. I just felt like I, I enjoyed and have watched his work progress from the beginning and, and going on to it now. And we finally get a chance to talk to him. So if you don't know who John Romita Jr. is, then I promise you, you've seen and enjoyed his work. You, If you don't know who John Romita Jr. is, you haven't been reading comics for the last 40 years. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, Mr. John Romita Jr. Gentlemen, how are you? Sir, we are good. We are good. How are you? All right. I'm curious. There's two things. Number one. Yeah. You said there's going to be an incredible guest on. Do we have to wait long for this? Is it just going to happen uh, in 15 minutes? Just let me know because I can fill Look, the time. Until the guest we have today, Patty tells me, was 1984 was the hunk of the month. I believe it was it was round it was round eighty four. It was a shot of John Romita Jr. Hunk of the month and all like oh my god in that in that little in that little newsprint black and white you know that that grayscale that they would they would redo photos with yeah I swear to this date that's a practical joke because it wasn't done with anybody else. I always wanted to get back and shoot her for that. I hope he's healthy. I hope he's feeling better. The best practical joke ever, because here we are talking about it all of these years later. Oh, so, my God. That was, uh, so you, you mentioned you mentioned 40-something years. Isn't it fascinating that I started in comics when I was five? Isn't that fantastic? It, it is. I mean, you know, without you, we wouldn't have the prowler. Yes. <laughs> That's right. That's Who right. Was well, a I, was, major, I, I think I was 13 or 14 then with the prowler. Who's a major, major character in a movie last year in uh, the Spider-Man yeah. movie. Fantastic! I even got my name on a movie. That's and a Marvel movie at that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's about, uh, about time. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for being here. So, you know, thanks to Spencer Beck from the Artist Choice for helping arrange this. Good it, man. It, it, he, he texted me and said, "You, you bleep bleep. You're uh, making them wait. Get on." <laughs> Uh, I'm quite sure Spencer is in our chat room, and I'm quite sure that uh, he'll we'll see some of his comments scroll at the bottom. <laughs> okay, we know, we know we know Spencer. He uh, he doesn't like to stay quiet. He's a good man. Absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of good man, uh, I'd love to go back to the beginning. You you are of course the second member of your family uh, to be involved in this. You grew up in a professional comic book household. Uh, I, I'm sure you've been asked that before, but. What was it like when you began to realize what your dad did for a living? The first thing I noticed was the novelty of it with friends. It took a while because it wasn't the kind of thing that was prevalent for kids my age. And then I realized it was becoming something. The funny part was until this novelty kicked in, he was drawing romance comics. Who knew? I saw a lot of people kissing. So my brother and I didn't pay any attention. When he did, I specifically, there's a specific cover to, to Daredevil number 12. I woke up in the middle of the night from a bad, a bad a nightmare. I think the monsters were under my bed, something like that. So I ran up to the attic, one of those pull-down attics that they had in Queens back, back in the day. Yeah. I was climbing up there. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and it was probably 4 in the morning, 3 in the morning. And he said, are you okay, kid? Yeah, yeah. And I rubbed my eyes, walked over to his desk, and expected to see the same, the same old... Leonard Star-esque type of romance stuff. And I saw Kazar up in a, in a tree and Daredevil surrounded by the plunderer and his men. And I asked the question, Dad, what is that? And the man, God bless him, patiently explained the whole thing to me. That these are the bad guys and the plunderer is their boss. And oh, by the way, they're going to they're gonna fight and Daredevil is a blind character. And I think the top of my head exploded. And he told me I sat down right there and listened and started drawing on scratch paper, whatever it was. That was the, the, the moment that I got locked into comics. 
But until that point, it was just romance. And then after that, suddenly, my father was a famous cartoonist. I said, holy mackerel, this is fantastic. And then it grew from there. When he started doing Spider-Man is when it really grew. That was the novel, yeah. the novelty, excuse me. Now, in Queens back then, you don't brag about what you are very much. You just keep to yourself. But when people come to you and want you to tell them about it, that's, that's when it opens you up. And it was more fun than you can imagine. And then to get into it, it was tough because I had this man that was a brilliant artist to begin with, and everything I did paled in comparison. Uh, I, we spoke to the, uh, the Cubert boys I've spoken to on many occasions have felt the same way. It's, it's an honor to have a brilliant artist as a father, but it's also intimidating as all get out to have a well, brilliant artist as a father. Well, your father was, you know, clearly your father's a brilliant artist, and you you come in. You remember the romance books, but you know he had a small. He did the, he did those Captain America books, I think. Yes, back in the fifties. That's correct. I didn't mm -hmm. find this out until well after the the Daredevil cover, uh, because I was so young at the time. And then my brother would ask questions about what he did in the past, and he would explain. We suddenly saw that the the, the uh, Captain America books, yeah, those Captain America Tommy Smasher books. Yeah. Yes. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. and Stan so, Lee, yeah. Rhode Island, Rhode Island Red, and crazy villains with goofy Tommy yeah. titles like that. Yeah. So you, you know, speaking of your father as this amazing artist. You start in a very similar style, and and like the Hubert brothers, you develop a very very unique style as your career proceeds. I mean, I remember, I think those Daredevil books you did really were like just. I remember how amazing those books were, and how radically different. I mean, you look at the, the that stuff compared to your early Spider Man work. You know, okay, that, a huge. That's a huge tonal shift. In style, the, 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 the Spider-Man stuff became that because I was, well, I, I was in awe of what my father had done with Stan previous, and I wanted it to look as good as that, etc. But I was doing, I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants. Uh, I did the X-Men after that, and I was doing breakdowns. I, I did Iron Man before that. I, I forgot the timeline. But I was working with a guy like Bob Lee. I have it right here. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, uh, doing early stuff with Marvel UK, uh, I guess doing the covers right. and reprints and stuff like that. Seems like Iron Man may have been the first regular gig. And I think 115 was the first full book. Yeah, Full Iron book, yeah. And and yeah. and by the way, Iron Man 150 is one of my... If I had to pick a single comics, one of my favorites of all time, Iron Man 150 is, is still one of them by far. Oh, all right, I started on 115. And 150... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I started improving. The, but interestingly enough, I was doing breakdowns working yeah. with uh, Bob Layton and Michelini. Yep. And as I got to do other projects after that, again, breakdowns with uh, with uh, on Spider-Man, I was doing breakdowns. And I forgot the inker's name. I apologize. A veteran artist. I forgot his name. I'm blanking. Again, breakdowns. Sure, and a guy yeah. that was helping me along. When I got to do Daredevil, I hate to, to jump ahead. When, oh, I no, no. Chance to do, when I got a chance to do Daredevil, it was after doing the X-Men with Chris Claremont. And right. the same thing, doing breakdowns again. But when I was given a chance to do Daredevil, Ralph Macchio gave me the famous words. You do, it's all yours. Full pencils, storytelling, yeah. everything. Yeah. And I was given that chance. And I ran with it and had more fun than you could imagine. And then it blossomed into what it was. I got a chance to work with Frank and, and on the graphic novel. But the, the timeline was breakdowns, breakdowns, breakdowns. And yeah. Were you on, on, on X-Men? Were you yeah. doing breakdowns that entire time? I was doing tight breakdowns. I was doing shakedowns, if you want to call yeah. it that. Around, but, it was, but around like 183, that fight yeah. between Colossus and Juggernaut in the bar. Correct. Then it started yeah. getting tighter and tighter, and I was yeah. given more le more latitude with the as I as I made Chris Claremont a little bit com more comfortable. I was given a little bit more latitude, and I was starting to do tighter and tighter work. But it was still controlled by Chris Claremont, justifiably yeah. so. Brilliant, sure. brilliant writer. But I but I remember. I personally, I remember that X-Men 183 book was when I first saw your name and I was like, oh, I like this artist. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, Thank you. That's one of the artists that I have to just now follow around. That fight and that the, the art in that book is, is great. And then following you to Daredevil where you really start to blossom. Yeah. And that, that was that was your that was your level up. No question. Thank you. But I had I had guys like Bill Mantlow to work with and then Chris Claremont to work with and then Anderson to work with. I've always been given great writers to work with. I'm very fortunate. And it enhanced my storytelling. But getting on Daredevil, when I was told 
because I was frustrated. I remember getting off of uh, X-Men briefly to do uh, Batman Punisher, I think it was. Yeah. I told I take, take a break and you'll, you'll get back on the X-Men. And unfortunately, not unfortunately, there's a brilliant, brilliant artist that got on it. I wasn't given a chance to get back on the X-Men. Uh, I was very disenchanted and I was thinking about going into advertising. I was thinking about getting out of the industry. And which, which was your original, which, that was your original degree, wasn't it? That's correct. Or, yeah. Ad, advertising illustration. That's correct. Yep. Ralph Macchio said, no, you got to, no, we'll give you, you want to work on Daredevil. Would you like to work with with Dan Decenti, who was the editor, one of the editors at, uh, on, on some books? And uh, I just, yeah, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I had more fun doing Daredevil than you could imagine. And then it blossomed into the, the storytelling abilities. I was able to give, give some suggestions on stories and plotting. Anne was great. She allowed me to do these things. And the artwork improved in, in leaps and bounds in my own mind. I felt more comfortable. Al Williamson, when you work with a guy like Al Williamson, I, I, everything looked so much better than it started out to be. And I was just in just sheer luck. It was pure luck that he agreed to do it. And then uh, Frank Frank was interested in doing something with me because I asked him about working on a Wolverine graphic novel. He said, no, no, everybody's doing Wolverine. Let's do a Daredevil graphic novel. And Man Without Fear came about. And I think that, to me, that run, uh, those three issues that became the hardcover, probably solidified me in my mind that I can do this. I think I might survive this business, is what I said to myself. <laughs> really? Yeah. It was that long? Absolutely. My God! Okay. If I if I had to, if I had to did, uh, introduce you to somebody, yes, I would pick Man Without Fear. I would have to say thank you. This sums sums up what it is. You and Frank were both absolutely the top of your game, and as I understand it, that was that was a movie treatment that he had done. Correct. That That's never correct. never got picked up. So you guys like broke it down into the issues. And the great thing about that series too, I, I really loved was that it. It incorporated all the classic or original Silver Age uh, Daredevil mythology of the origin and it layered on all the stuff that Frank did with the hand Correct. and Electra, and nothing nullified anything else. It Correct. was a great narrative. It presented the kingpin as he is this force. Correct. And and that's 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 another thing about your style that I've really enjoyed, whether it's with the Fisk or with Juggernaut, you you give big right. guys heft and gravity. That. Yeah, that, that was something that I learned. I, I, it's not that I asked how it was done, but my father had always had a habit of being in reverence to Jack Kirby. And we would discuss things like that. And he said, look what Kirby does with these characters, the weight of these characters. When they walk, you could see a dent in the floor, that kind of thing. Yeah. And he says, there's always a block to them. And a, a, that word becomes intrinsic in this conversation. He says, there's always an edge to it, side, front, back, because of the power and the shadowing. And it, it, it made me think that's how how you get the weight to a character and the size and the bulk is to give it that square look. And I probably got carried away occasionally with the, the, the blocky look. But what what occurred to me was that in the in the Daredevil thing was to give it the heft. Yeah. Because it makes Daredevil a little bit more amazing that he's bat battling these kind of characters. And the same thing with uh, using the juggernaut and so on. Uh, with Spider-Man, uh, it makes the character the character's success that much more amazing. But the good thing about working on Daredevil with Frank was he gave me this treatment and we would talk about it. And he says, listen, I see what you've done on Daredevil. I love what you do with the storytelling. Knock yourself out, take it and run with this and so on. I think he was working on RoboCop one, two or five or six or whatever. Yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, it was and uh, we're working on it. And in the middle of me working on it, phone calls, there was no internet at that time. <laughs> he tells me, listen, I got some, I have an addendum to this couple extra pages in between page 17 and 18. Oh, great, great, great. great. At this time, it was a 64-page graphic novel. Uh, he yeah. sends me the addendum. ends up being 88 extra pages between page 17 and page 18. <laughs> and, and it turns into this gigantic graphic novel. But Frank let me do what I wanted to do with the storytelling. It was right. the most fun I had ever had uh, on something. And it played out so well with me that the subsequent teaming up with Frank was the same kind of thing. He would give it to me and let me run with it. Uh, even to this Superman year one that <laughs> we just completed, yeah. the same thing, a huge amount of pages. And he allowed me to do what I wanted. And then he would write according to the, to the artwork because we both were born, so to speak on in the Marvel manner of getting a plot and turning yes. it into artwork. But mm -hmm. man without fear, even though I was relatively inexperienced compared to what I am now, 
the 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 story was brilliant and we had so much fun with some of those scenes especially with yeah. the kingpin uh, breaking the neck of the godfather and yeah. becoming the godfather that kind of thing and little vignettes uh either frank's suggestion or just mine from watching a lot of great movies <clears throat> with my father it was so much fun to incorporate some of those storytelling tricks that i had gotten over the years from watching a lot of films with my father. It just all jived. And to this day, if somebody asks me, what do I consider the best work I've ever done? I I think from start to finish, it might be that because I just had, uh, everything worked. Everything worked. And and the, the presentation of those books as they came out, those five issues with the embossed covers. Right. Those right. covers were gorgeous. The interior. And now, you know, I think that Daredevil and the Superman story you just did with frank those are both evergreen stories so those mm -hmm. those are things that can live forever as a collection and you know when you want to show somebody hey you want to get into daredevil this is where you start this is the starting point again i, I go to the to the process frank and mm -hmm. i started in with the marvel manner of plotting yeah. and i don't know if it's if it necessarily covers all artists that they would be better artists if they did working from plots i don't know uh, but the success that I've had with Frank is not a, it's not a coincidence. He's, he's brilliant. The other jobs I did with him felt the same way. He would hand this to me, knock yourself out, have fun with it, and then write the document. I think the Marvel method forces you to really grow as a storyteller. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because, yeah. Here's the irony now, and this happened recently, that now DC is more interested in that format. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, they're not eliminating scripts. They're telling writers, you're going to give some dialogue, you're going to give scripts, but it's an amalgam. It's a script and a plot at the same time. If the, hmm. if the artist so chooses to change the storytelling and the pacing, please allow it, maybe adjust the, the dialogue, or the artist will let the, the writer know. I got this scene I want to add or the scene I want to adjust. Uh, is it okay? And can you change the dialogue? I'm allowed to do that with some writer with some writers. I think it's because I'm older than all of them put together. But it, the, the truth of the matter is, it's a nice, it's a nice camaraderie, so to speak. Because yeah. I've, I've well, had experience storytelling. Some of the best collaborations, the great collaborations of writers and artists, are when they're putting together the book together. You know, not right. you know, generally when a guy says, "Okay, you just draw this and that," and and you know, you have to give the artist some freedom to to you know let their wings fly. I think that that is. Man without fear couldn't have been scripted. And not to put anything against, against Frank, but yeah, just that that was that was a jam it, it, piece. It, it developed. It was able to run by itself because we we could add to it what we wanted, and it was wide open. Uh, Frank at that time was just allowed to do whatever he wanted. Now I didn't. I don't know how much of that that he gave me was the actual treatment. I don't yeah. know. I, I'd have to ask him again if he adjusted it to to for me to work on. I'd like to think he just handed the treatment over to me, and I was like, I think that was the case. It had some dialogue and it had some directions, but at some point there were a couple of sentences that would lead to ten pages. Yeah, or there were two page, or there were two typewritten pages that would lead to one panel, that kind of thing. You drew a very, very good Electra. I'll just and yes, I leave it. At that. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. which actually you know, does bring up another point, which I, I really appreciate about your style, and I think a lot of people aren't cognizant of it as that they should. You are really good at remembering that unless they're a superhero character, the comic book universe is populated by regular looking people. <laughs> and you're very cognitive of even a background character or somebody in a gang or whatever. This is their wow. style. You gave them clothes and you gave them styles and fashions of the day and you gave them a piercing here or... Thank they, you very much for noticing. They, they looked is, like somebody that was very well cast, in central casting, had a good costumer, had a good art direction, and okay, boom, you're ready to get killed down the scene. That is that is such a huge compliment. Thank you very much. I, very interestingly enough, I, I went to a convention and I had, he wasn't a young man, but he was a, a, a father to the, the kid that was in front of me. And he, after I signed the books, he said, I want you to know that I've seen you your stuff that my son reads. Yeah. And I looked at your backgrounds and I've looked at your crowd scenes. You really are from New York. Now, the man yeah. was of color. And he said, you put all all races, creeds and colors in your backgrounds. He says, is that something concerted? I said, that's fine. I'm from Queens, New York. That's that's the way we were brought up. Everywhere you looked, there were different colored people, different everything. Yeah. 
So it had to be that way. Not that somebody from North Dakota was just going to put a whole bunch of white people in the background. No. Yeah. But being from Queens, New York, it's a huge advantage. And it did. And I appreciate that comment you just made more than you know. And the good thing was, speaking of the juggernaut in that scene with Colossus, that's my friend's bar, the Grand Tavern, rest in peace. And we destroyed it. I threw all my friends in the background, and some of them just got such a kick out of it. <laughs> but that was the Grand Tavern, and I had a blast. Where, it. Where, it was in Queens? Yes. Yes. And, of course, it's no longer around, but I used that place as the, the – the, not that I go to bars very often, but my friend, you know, my friend owned it, so we had to frequent it. The food was great. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great yeah so yeah you, you hit that hit that ground running i like to run on thor I, I, it was it was really interesting to see you kind of cut loose in the in the kirby mythology and your take and the on cosmic it stuff that's right yeah because it was, my point it was a lot of down-to-earth characters yeah which i had said on many occasions i enjoyed whether it was spider-man daredevil queens new york you know that uh, uh, that kind of thing i remember my father driving us past the area where spider-man lives when we were kids this is forest hills spider-man yep. lives in that building so that stuck with me but then doing thor uh was such an uh, an outer body experience because it was so cosmic it was out way out there and dan jurgens and i had a blast we just loved it and klaus jansen the, the look of that series is as good as it is a lot due to Klaus Jansen's brilliance. That run doesn't get the love that it deserves, in my opinion. I, I think it, I, I think so. I think it's, it's an under, underrated gem. I, I, it really does. That was just again. And I got was, I got a chance to do Mangog. Come on, that <laughs> yeah. is one of the coolest characters of all time. And then also, what's that gigantic dragon? Fin Fang Foom. Fin Fang Foom. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The greatest villains. The greatest <laughs> characters. That monsters. How much more fun can you have? But Mangog was a blast. I'm so glad that Dan brought that character in. Fin Fang Foom, a giant a, a giant Godzilla-esque creature that still wears bikini shorts. <laughs> right. oh, and this is why we love comics! You don't want to see the genitalia of a gigantic dragon. That's Those right. purple shorts are, you know... <laughs> And then uh, uh, I don't I don't know if, if, if he came to Marvel or Marvel came to him, but uh, somehow... J. Michael Straczynski got a job writing Spider-Man, and you were on board. What was that like? Or how, actually, how did uh, that evolve? I think it was the editor that said, would you like to try this kind of thing. I, I very rarely made smart choices on my own. There was always somebody helping me out. I, I'm, I'm glad I, I, I agreed to it because under the horrible circumstances, issue 36 was, was in there. But Joe is just, he's brilliant. I, I just, you can't. You look at that run, and it was brilliant. Uh, I, although Dan Slott's run with me uh, was equally as brilliant. I, I honestly, the character itself, to me, plays itself out better than it played out when I was working on Daredevil. It just felt like I was comfortable with the character. But that run with, with Straczynski, which overlapped issue 36, I can't tell you how well, important it was to me, how horrible and important it was at the same time. I can't open the book. I can't look at it. It, it, it kills me. I can't. That book uh, is one of the most beautiful books ever p printed in our in the comic book industry. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, <laughs> that that scene with Doom in that book is is like gut wrenching. I mean, there's so many parts that. of that book that it, are gut wrenching. It, it was it was it was a wonderful. And I, I use that term in reference to it, not say it's a good thing, but uh, I, I've always described it as it was a moment where the industry didn't break the fourth wall, but everything just stopped. And it was this, this wonderful thing. Let's acknowledge what's going on right now. All these characters are going to stop and everybody's looking at you, the reader. And, and it's and, everybody involved in that book sharing this moment that we all did. John, on that I, you know, I lived, I lived in New York at the time. I, I, it, when 9-11 happened, I lived in Hell's Kitchen. Ironically, in one of those buildings that has, you know, that overlooks the the school playground, that is a place where like Matt Murdock would be. I, right. uh, I, you know, I I knew people, you know, that we lost. Uh -huh. It was the most awful experience anybody could ever imagine. And I mean, you know, you were there, but that book was, I think, was really important, and it to a lot of people around the world that read that and saw that, that you know. I thought it was a, a a great what's 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 a good word that I can look for. It was a great moment. Well, it's a, it's a testament to what a testament to the moment in on, time on yeah. the heroic side of it. Yeah, the, yeah. 
funny you should mention it. The first thing I thought when they mentioned us doing a book about 9-11, I said, I can't do this. Because the first thing that came to my mind, unfortunately, right. was that it was going to try and capitalize on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I hesitated. About, I bounced it off my wife and she said, I don't know. It depends on how it's handled. Uh, my father said, don't do it. That would be terrible to try and capitalize on such an event. And then somebody explained to me what the story was, uh, that Straczynski had come up with this idea. And it came from the term, there are no words, because Joe said, there are no words. I can, how do I describe? How do I do this? There are no words. And apparently a light bulb over his head, and he played from there. That was Spider-Man's words. There are no words. It, and the yeah. frustration of the heroes not being able to save anybody. And it played itself out into what it is. It's hard to describe every book I work on. I can be connected to at some point with a slight memory of what I was doing when I was working on it. And in other words, if I look at an issue at a convention, I remember where I was at the time. I don't remember anything about working on those pages for the five weeks I worked on. I don't. I don't remember what where what position I was sitting in. I, all I know is I yeah. remember my wife coming in and there was reference that was daily printed out well, we, we live. The walls to keep me in touch with what was happening minute to minute and that's all i remember was being completely deluged with reference that changed every day but it's it's a blank spot in my memory and of course I, I think for many many people who yeah. live in new york and I, I the horror that people went through this it's it's untold and it can't be explained and friends of mine Worked in the fire department, lost 43 friends. Police department, lost friends. All of those secondhand stories. But we were lucky. None of our family and friends were, were directly affected. But it's a blind spot in my mind. And I see the book when it's, get, when it, it's brought to me at conventions. I, 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 it's, I can't open it up. It chokes me up. Yeah. I think I, I can say that it's that month afterwards. I, I had to try and think about it a few weeks ago. I was talk, having this conversation about that time frame and trying to remember certain details is difficult because it all kind of blurred together, listening right. to the radio, listening, watching the news, you know, you know, just walking around the city in a daze. It's that, that was a, I mean, that month. That's tough. Yeah. 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 And I remember the reference and the, the piles of reference that oh, I keep God. all reference on everything I've worked on. I used to keep all reference. I had to throw it out. I couldn't look at the picture. I have a couple of images stuck to my desk of the heroism of the police and the fire department. Uh, and I've kept those because there's some of them with the New York Times articles and I would just rip it out and put it up on my desk uh, to look at. And it was there. But the rest of the reference was so horrible to have. I had nightmares. And I, it was just it were nightmares, constant nightmares. Thank God it subsided. It still yeah. is a nightmare if I open that book up. Yeah, I mean, that double-page spread of Spider-Man up in the, the lower corner, yeah. looking at the the, the 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 debris, so to speak, Ground Zero. I can't look at it. I have to close the book. I sign the, the outside. It's almost twenty years ago now. Yes, I know that. It's amazing. I'm wondering if there's anything that can be done to re in, in reverence to it that wouldn't be unnecessary. Would Marvel consider something? I don't know. The re-release of the book. I don't know. I'm not going to say it because it seems like it would be. Again, the feeling I had when it first was proposed to me, trying to capitalize on a horrible event. Yeah. But uh, maybe in sheer reverence to the fallen and to the uh, the 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 heroes that still will survive. Buddy of mine is a retired detective that he has to get checked every couple of months because he worked the pit. I have a friend who's a sanitation worker, retired. He has to get himself checked because he worked the pit. Yeah. It still affects people. It still affects people. I, um, my father was buddies with an ex New York cop who was Tom Palmer's nephew who okay. had, okay. yeah, had, had lung wow. problems. So yeah, he had to leave the force early. So that's all right. Well, thank so, you very much for the comment. So uh, let's go back to contest of champions and drag yeah, all those crazy <laughs> international characters like the collective you know band. Contest of champions. You know, it started off to be a, a, a story about the Olympics, right? Yeah. 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 And that's when, for some reason, I was able to do a billion characters. And because of that series, Contest of Champions, everybody said, well, look, Romina can do a billion characters. And every book I did had a million characters. In it. To this day, <laughs> I still get that. You can do it. You got just a couple of thousand characters. Don't worry about it. 
working with Bendis. I'm working with Bendis. And whenever I work at Bendis, he throws a cast of, of thousands in the issues. I just, yeah, go ahead. It's Romita Jr. He can handle it. <laughs> gracious, gracious. Well, you did. The champion. Well, you did. Uh, and, and, and again, even without you, that I, I, I adore, I adored the, the Straczynski run uh, you did on Spider Man. Good, good, mad memories of it too. Uh, weirdly enough, my favorite scene of all time is just when Spider Man's walking on the wall and the guys just eating popcorn, just chill it out. It's like, hey, can I have some of that? Shirt? And he's walking. It's like that again. You. You're, you're, you just, you're so, you're so good at drawing human moments with these fantastical characters. Thank and you. I that's think another, that always. Thank. That's another huge compliment. Thank you. Uh, and again, that's that comes from a weakness when you when you need to fill either backgrounds or uh, 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 vignettes. You can't just have the guy standing there with his chest in the, uh, up in the air. There's got to be something that that legitimizes it in reality, whether it's my I, I, whether it's my apartment behind me, the clothes that I wear, the people, as you mentioned before, in the backgrounds to give it that legitimacy, because. Again, we're in a fantasy business, but you still have to have something. It goes back to what Stan Lee once said to a group of us. The balance of reality and fantasy is not even Stephen. It has to be balanced, whether it's 20% reality and 80% fantasy or the other way around. You go by what works. Mm-hmm. And with Spider-Man and Daredevil and characters, street-level characters, there's got to be enough reality in it so when the fantasy jumps in on you, it's you, you legitimize it because of the reality you've done with. And I remember that very well. So when I do scenes in New York, I always try to put something that is recognizable. And whether it's my clothes, my car, my apartment, my friends, uh, uh, scenes that I've seen, whatever it's, as you just mentioned, that to me makes it legitimate. And I think that was a failing of mine that I needed that, so to speak. I had to use that so that people would show that I'm legitimate. And it now here we are all of these millions of years later and it's and it gets mentioned and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Credit where credit is due. Thank you. Great compliments. Great, great compliments. Thank you. You're very, very so, welcome. Uh we're about ready to uh the the Eternals and uh the collaboration with Gaiman and the, the Eternals had been a, a I won't say a stagnant, but it's certainly been a dormant property at Marvel and and they had tried well every see like every seven, eight years they were like, oh let's do it a mini series or whatever. And uh, you and Neil took a really good crack at it. The it, speaking of Neil, and I would harkens back to something we said a few minutes ago. Neil was the writer that you've you know, you get a script from Neil, you follow it and you just enjoy it. He said something to me that sticks with me as one of the best compliments that I've gotten from a writer. He said, I know what you can do. I've seen your storytelling. So I'm giving you a script but do not feel that you have to follow this to the letter of the law. You do what you want and I will change according to your artwork. The wow. ultimate, the ultimate in compliments wow. from a man like Neil Gaiman. Wow. And I enjoyed it completely. And again, the artwork, I was so proud of it because I got a chance to work with another brilliant artist. It was just wonderful. And again, I get a chance to go to that movie whenever it comes out. <laughs> again, a lot of, lot of good, a lot of good quiet moments in, in, in that as Thank well. You. When Zerus confronts Puck and okay. uh, and does what he does, yeah, <laughs> that's again that's that's Neil allowing me to play with these characters. And again, the reference going back to Kirby's stuff and looking at Kirby again, I would plaster the office with some of Kirby's artwork to give that feel. Same thing what I did with with Thor is to give it the heft, to feel <clears throat> that power. Yeah, and with Thor you get power. And ironically, doing Superman, another guy with a red cape, the same feeling of power. You have to have it in there. But working on, on the Eternals, wow, having Jack Kirby slay it at first, there you go. It makes it easy to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of slaying, uh, you certainly did a lot of that in Kick-Ass. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you, know you know what cracks me up about that is we were talking to uh, the realtor today, and the realtor was telling uh, other uh, uh, the, of the other agents that were visiting, brokers, that this guy's a cartoonist. And she said, but you she, you may not have seen this, but have you ever seen Kick-Ass? Oh, my God, they're still kicking. So there's a, there's a linchpin. It's a film. So they said, wow. You know, yeah. That became another thing that I hesitated on. My wife, Kathy, was the one that talked me into it. Because I was working, I had worked with Mark on uh, on the, the, the um, Wolverine series. Yeah. And uh, he said in the middle of it, I have an idea that you might like. It's a, it's a creator-owned. It's, an, it's adult material. 
Yeah. (laughs) And I said, I don't know. And to myself, I don't know if I could do this. I had been working, you know, the straight laced stuff with uh, all the artists in the past and all the characters in the past and thought I would be doing damage to myself by doing adult material. My wife said, my wife, Kathy said, are you crazy? Look at this. This is going to be fun. New characters. Try it. And the, 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 the problem I had was how am I going to apply this insanely adult material to comics? And it turns out all I was able to do was do the same storytelling process, only with insanely adult material. And it played out well. Uh, I just had to come up with different and new and inventive ways to kill people. Well, I think, occasionally yeah. I'd go to bed at night and I can't think of anything. What do you think, Kath? You got something in mind? And she said, well, no, I don't. But maybe you ought to sleep on it. Because this is a sick conversation, she'd say. You're trying to come up with new and inventive ways to slay people. I said, well, I don't want to cut people's heads off because that's the ultimate. How about if I just disembowel a couple of people? And this is the kind of conversation I have before I go to bed. And it's it's comedy. But again, without my wife promoting this as a good idea, I may not have done it. So my wife gets all the credit in the world. And then working with Mark was just a blast. And two issues into it, he gets drunk at a party with Matthew Vaughn and boom, a movie is born. Unbelievable! Uh, the, the the man the man is is the epitome of hustle. <laughs> I know. I seriously, I have the most incre- I have the most incredible regard for him in that way too. He 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 never he never settled from where he was. He 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 just kept Agreed. going up to comics, and when he got to the comics, he's like, "I am jumping now, while I've still Agreed. I've still got this wave." Brilliant. He's a brilliant writer. It's hard to describe how brilliant because his success is what it is. Tell uh, tell him to come see us here. Well. Uh, there you go. There you go. I could. I'll tell him. I will tell yeah. him. This is and and Kickass was incredibly successful, just even as a book, even without the movie. Yeah. I yes, believe. it was. And I, the both of us, regret not continuing longer. But he had opportunities to do other things, and uh, it had played, it had run its course. It seemed. Now I think the second iteration, with the new girl, was as good as, if not better, but only because it wasn't brand new. But I loved the second run. Well, I did I love. I did. I did very much enjoy the more the the recent one with the uh, with the woman. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was that I was agree. a good part. And that's again, that's Mark's idea, and I think the character's brilliant. And I would love to see that character somewhere. So if anybody's watching this that has any sway with movie studios, don't be stupid. <laughs> Put this lady in a film somewhere. No, and the story is it's a great yeah. story. And, yeah, you know. I agree, especially with the the children, the fantasy of that. Uh, uh, that this woman is taking over uh, uh, organized crime yeah. to bet for a betterment to the betterment of society, so to speak, and at the same time tamping down on crime while she's got kids and has the background right. and the training to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, again, there's there's a there's a legitimacy to the character that turning war vet. Yes, yes, absolutely. So speaking of war vets, Clark Kent. All right. Private in the army, uh, yeah. Navy, <laughs> Navy, Navy, yeah, Navy. yeah, just, right. uh, seamen and and identified Ooh, for sea training. Funny is the process of how that played out. Frank's idea to put him on a, on a cruise ship, on a cruise ship, on a battleship in, 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 in the Navy. And I don't know exactly how I phrased it, but the trainer that I worked with was in the in the uh, the Navy, and uh, he said, Wow, Superman in the Navy, it's a great idea. So he's got to become a seal. I said, holy shit, what a brilliant idea. So I give my, my trainer all the credit because think about it. We have a specimen like Clark Kent who legitimately was Superman at the time. He's got to be discovered by, by the, the, the SEAL commander and go to Bud's training. And then we played it out. Frank and I played it out uh, with uh, his commanding officer. And I, yeah. I, I loved the way it played out. I was looking forward to it, but I had to admit I was I was getting a little okay. Every three or four years, a, a team does their version of the Superman origin, and it still kind of follows the paradigm: Daily Planet, this, whatever. And the that whole military angle was perfectly logical. It perfectly made sure. sense that that Clark would want to serve his country and everything else. And I also loved that it wasn't his physicality; it was the fact that because of his supervision made him such a marksman. <laughs> that got him identified yeah. for SEAL exactly. training. That, yeah. I thought, was boom. Yes. Uh, but is... I, but, and, and then trying to, to balance it, that he knows what he is and doesn't want to hurt anybody. Yes. He finds out that he has to be a killer. The, those little things are what Frank does best. I was given a chance to play this all out, but Frank said, remember now, when he realizes that he is tantamount to being an assassin, 
not literally seal trainers seals are not assassins but they have dirty jobs to do they, when he realizes it it's a great it's a it's an ironic take and a brilliant brilliant take frank deserves all the credit on that one i loved it and i love that it was real and uh i the, even the training scenes in bud's training when he's doing the self-defense stuff i i can't you know i can't get this guy too easy i gotta make it look good yep I love that kind of stuff. He doesn't want to shame the other guy either. He is absolutely humble. Right. He's not there, oh, I can't let them find out I'm super powered. He's like, I can't let these guys lose their sense of pride. Right. Again. And that is right. that's Superman. Yes. That's Superman. He wants when he, gets, when, he gets, when he gets drummed out and, and they, they clap, they applaud to him, applaud for him. I, I that those little vignettes by Frank were brilliant. I, I, I was given so much latitude to play with it, but Frank gives those moments, those vignettes, the legitimacy the story needs. And people complained about the, the, the variations on the, on the origin, but I, I thought it was start to finish. And I worked on paper. Again, this was the large format. I still, to this day, could probably wallpaper two houses with the size of the paper that we worked on. And Danny Mickey had to use gallons of ink because of the size of the paper. And he and I joked how much ink he used. He laughed, but he worked hard. Danny Mickey did, a, did brilliant work. Anybody who would complain about that would be the antithesis of me that I was just kvetching about how Superman reboots tend to follow the same <laughs> skeleton of, okay, crash. Oh, a baby. Let's raise him. Son, yeah. use your powers. Yeah. Ugh, you know, okay, dad, you know. And, and no, I thought it was, a, it, was a, it was a very unique way to tackle a story that's been told a hundred times. I agree. But I, that was Frank's. Now, the funny, the funny part of this this is a great collaboration with Frank and me. Is that he, when he gave me the plot to begin it, is he he said the words through the eyes of the child, meaning that this alien super being as a child experiences this. And I took that to mean I wanted to see what the baby sees. So the first, I think, eight pages was from the eyes, literally the camera being the eyes of the child. And yeah. I, it was a variation on something. And I felt a little bit, better about it because it was a, a slight difference until he crashes and it's all black and he pushes the the dome open and there's Jonathan Kent staring down at him and it, uh, we're able to do things that I think should have been done the baby touches his face oh my god I've landed where am I I, I, I had so much fun with it Frank allows that to happen brilliant brilliant and there was a lot of there was a lot of the silver age a lot of silver age elements in the story in a modern way and uh you know things that you know some people like or lemuris things that you right, know right. some that some modern writers tend to just discount frank really went back he did brought in some really cool cool old stuff mm -hmm. and then the football i mean clark can't play football uh his his awkwardness with girls uh, all of that stuff it's that's you take this character that hasn't been explored you think it's been explored to the nth degree and then we got a chance to peel a couple more layers to the onion and find in moments that hadn't been explored, especially the lunchroom, uh, you know, his awkwardness with girls, Lana Lang. She she's on top of the roof with a, a, a sign that says, I love you. And only he can see her. Yeah. Little moments like that that hadn't been explored. But the football thing was great. And it plays towards the same thing with the Navy. He, You know, his father tells him, don't show off. Mm -hmm. And that conversation goes back to a conversation that I had with my father and he had with my brother and me, you do not look for trouble, but if somebody puts a hand on you, do not hesitate to take care of yourself, you know, protect yourself, do the right thing. So no, do not look for trouble, but if somebody lays a hand on you, yeah, take care of business. So that's mm -hmm. the same kind of conversation. And Jonathan Kent had more effect on, on Superman than his real his biological father. Absolutely. I've always been a Pa Kent is the linchpin of the Superman mythology sure. far sure. more than, than Jor-El, not to take away from the character, but, I, but I'm always a, uh, yes. It was humanizing that the Kent gave him. The mother was the typical mother. No, no violence. You know, we know you're special. Don't you dare. But the conversation, I remember it like it was yesterday. If anybody lays a hand on you, but if they don't lay a hand on you, you do not look for trouble. And I could you imagine when a super being gets that well, that's, that's to his head? That's don't the look for trouble. But if somebody lays yeah. a hand on you, 
destroy the earth that it's on, destroy the planet that right, it's well, on. Well, that's, that's the, the, the story of, of Clark, the story of Superman is the antithesis of the story of, of Batman. I mean, it's the it's yes. the all-American story. I mean, it's it's A, you have the immigrant story, which is this amazing immigrant story, and then the, you know, the American, you know, you've got truth, justice, American way. So here's this good old-fashioned farm boy raised on American values, you know, good, you know, Midwestern values, who's an immigrant. Right. Um, right. Superman, and but carries that Midwest upbringing with him. Where he goes. Yeah, was, I, he did, again, it's just like what he did with Man Without Fear. Frank adds these little moments and these vignettes that allow you to play beyond your normal uh, responsibilities. And again, the best times I've had working on a series is because I was able to play with the plot, and that's what Frank allowed me to do. And that, I said it just a couple of days ago that Frank allowed me to be me if you'll excuse the expression, because I have a stronger storytelling sense than my art is. And the storytelling makes my art look better. Then, of course, having Danny Mickey on it. Uh, that's <laughs> up, nothing wrong with that. And I think well, you've now, we've got a book now that could sit next to, you know, on the shelf. Next to, we'll say, Jeff Loeb's uh, Tim Sales for All Seasons. Next to the Grant Morrison, Frank Quietly, Superman, uh, All-Star Superman book. And, yep. you know, these are... Yeah. Give to anyone and go. Okay, you want to read Superman? Sorry, yeah. absolutely. There you go. I don't know if it was the first time I saw you do the big three, but at the end of that, we did see get to see you do Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't, know, I don't know if you had done that before for DC, but I, was that the first time you had all three of them on one page? It is. It is. And I, I would, I have a, a hankering to do a, a, a Wonder Woman story. I don't know about doing a series, but I would. I think I'll, I'll buy, buy it. it. <laughs> it's a great character. It's a brilliant character, and especially, the, I don't like skinny-looking superhero women. So I would love to put some muscle on this woman. See what she looks like with the buff, buff shoulders. Actually, at the end of that issue, she looks a little bit too buff. So I had to be careful. John, you draw women that are relevant to my interests. <laughs> hey, my my wife was a bodybuilder. I know all about it. Uh, she's an she's a, uh, an important part of me exercising the way I do. So uh, when I think of women as superheroes, I can't imagine a skinny, lean-looking superhero female. But think she's of Wonder she, Woman. She's but a, she's she's, she's, a, she's a Greek Amazonian warrior princess. Exactly yeah. right. She's not so going to be the muscle on her. Right. She's <laughs> her, not Superman. Yeah, she grew she, her whole life. Female Superman. Yeah. Her, her whole life, she grew up surrounded by swords <laughs> and weapons, and was told to use them. No, she's okay. yeah, she should. Right. You should have that. She's the warrior. I mean, there's a place for, you know, your more daintier superheroines, but then oh, she's good. supposed to be the brick. She's the she's gonna take <laughs> down. Yeah. What else is on the on the wish list for you? If you could write your write your own uh, write your own ticket, so to speak. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what to say. Just everybody knows you're not supposed to yell until the light is over. The light is off. I don't know what to say to you. I, I, I'm kind of held back. Uh, I'm so delated on this. I don't know. I, I can't think of yeah. the words to describe it. But well, you want to do Wonder Woman, so we got to get mm -hmm. you. You got to get a Wonder Woman story in yeah. yeah, I would love to. I'd love to try that character in the Walmart, the female character in Walmart. I would love to try it just to see yeah. because uh, having the three characters at the end uh, makes me want to try. I've done Batman, done Superman. I got to try is, her. Is there any other character you want to take a crack at? At DC or in general? In general, I, I'd like to try her. That's one thing. But I'd like to get back to doing Batman again, especially with the the the, my, the, ter, the Claude Claude esque money money lives. The, the three of those characters are the great characters. But I'd like to try them all with the right writers. But I would like to try the the the. the I'd like to try her. I really would. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. If I had a, the power. I, I always thought I, I've always wanted to see you uh, dabble with Doctor Strange for a while, or maybe if over DC, then give you Doctor Fate. I would I would love to see you tackle comic book magic and sorcery. I, I, I'd be very interested to see how you would handle that. I appreciate that. I enjoy doing uh, Black Man. I'd love doing over crazy benefits of that. All I know is the cape of that character and, and the power of this. Maybe we want to do uh, uh, Marvel again because of that character. It's just a brilliant, brilliant character that I didn't get a chance to do full time. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me, now that you mentioned it, I would love to go back and do that character. And Spider-Man, 
I don't know if that was that was just your affectation to it, but I love how you turned the cloak into kind of a robe when the inch okay. in. It's like, oh come on. I just I, right away I was like, I I really want to see, I really want to see Rumita Jr. screw around with the Ditko isms that yeah. he ingrained on. And and it's interesting to see how over the years some people have tried to go through that and some people have seen like, oh, right, I'm just gonna do my own boom thing. I but. just know that Doctor Strange is such an enigmatic character for me. I've watched it as a young man when I was watching done by younger artists, other artists, but I would love to try it. I really would. Except now, you know, who knows what's going to be next offered my way. I'm working Wait, on this. Exactly. But, oh, and, but Dr. Strange has always been a fascination to me. If I had my druthers, I'd love to see your take on the new gods. Mm. <laughs> really? <laughs> you do Kirby's world very Thank well. You. you know, between yeah. Eternals and Thor. And so okay. new gods mm-hmm. is very much a Kirby, you know, between right. dark side I don't know. Right now, we're a DC guy, but we'll see. We'll see how things play out. I'm enjoying myself with the DC characters. I'm working on good characters. I'm having a good time. What's on uh, the horizon project-wise that you're allowed Uh, to talk about? I'm just working on Detective Comics, and I've done a couple other things, but it it really depends on projects offered to me. Mm. Uh, I can't say. Honestly, I can't tell you. We we get it. I'm just going to – we're just all glad that that, that you're working. It's all mine. That's the good thing about being a cartoonist. We still have jobs assigned to us, especially under the conditions and under the, the business sense. But I'm able to work. And as a cartoonist, it's there. As long as I put it out, we send it, we ship it off. We send pages out to, to, to Klaus Ganson. And uh, I'm, I'm, having, I'm still enjoying this job. I still love it. But who knows what's going to be next? I can't. I'm so tempted to talk about it, but I can't talk about it. <laughs> come, come, when you're allowed to, come on back. We'll have you on and we'll talk about whatever it is. You just kind of I think you, that's a great lead into the next time we talk. I tell you what, it's eight o'clock. I think I've said almost too much because I'm running out of things to say. I don't want to no give away too much. No worries. Oh yeah, you have a you have your Twitter handle inside the corner right there. The real JRJR and one. And uh, we will look forward to uh, announcements and whatever you got on there. And John, it's it's such a pleasure to finally talk to you. I've been with Vince. Vince is a huge fan for for several decades, which I'm sorry that ages all of us, but. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. It was a pleasure. And uh, we absolutely, and we we really look forward to when society comes out of the pause we're in now. We look forward to having you back on our stages in front of your fans. Excellent. Just let me know. I enjoyed this very much, guys. Thanks. All so right, much. John. Thank you so much for the time. We Be well, guys. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to GalaxyCon Talks Comics. We hope you'll join us again next time, and don't forget to follow us online at GalaxyCon Talks Comics.com.